today we're reading uh, Joshua 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Asheroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. These garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days after they made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Carephi, Beroth, and Kerith-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because their, the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This, will, this we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying you were very far 
we, we are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. Now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. And they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Thanks, buddy. You guys can go have a seat. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that, man. Hands are full. Hey, uh, pal, thank you for tackling that. That was a mouth uh, full of scripture and uh, some um, gymnastics to jump around some of those words too. But man, Powell is a, is a great uh, example of a servant of Christ. He's been in our church for a very, very long time. If you don't, guys don't know Powell, um, he, he leads a men's discipleship group on Wednesday nights and um, he serves in kids and preschool pretty much anywhere else he needs uh, to, or the church needs him to step in. And he happens to be Kathy Ropp's husband, uh, who, who's on staff here, but that's not his identity. That's why we didn't say that first. So uh, thank you for doing that. Hey, if you've got those Bibles out, go ahead and open those up to Joshua 9. Joshua 9. Uh, listen, real quickly, last week was an incredible week on campus, Easter week. And so if, if you are here and you, you slid to that 7.30 last week, I asked a lot of our congregation to do that. Thank you for doing that. Really made a difference. Uh, it freed up some seats at the other two hours. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. We had um, a little over 600 people on campus last weekend uh, for Easter, which is incredible. It absolutely is, yeah. So uh, that allowed that to happen. So man, thank you all for doing that. So let's dive in into this. We're back into this series uh, called Strength and Courage. And we're walking through the book of Joshua as a, um, as a church. And so if you missed that or you need to catch up, let me kind of tell you where we kind of are. God has already delivered Israel um, out of Egyptian slavery. Right? They've been out of there. God did that under the leadership of Moses. Um, they spent the, the 40 years at Wilderness University. They've come out of that. They're done. And so they are now ready uh, to take the promised land. And so they're on this journey. They're taking the land. And God has already promised them the land. Uh, the, the outcome is not in doubt. They're fighting from victory, not for victory. But he isn't going to hand it to them on a plate. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have to overcome obstacles and opposition along the way. So that's kind of where we are uh, recapping there. But I want to show you a pattern that's forming um, really in the first eight chapters uh, of the book. It's a good pattern for us to acknowledge because uh, I think it's good for our life as well. Every single time that the Israelites um, waited before they acted, they sought the counsel of the Lord, and then they obeyed the Lord, the exact words from the Lord, 
everything went good. Success, the Jordan overcoming that, and then they have, of course, Jericho. So they, it went well when they did that. But when they deviated from the plan and they didn't wait on the Lord, they didn't seek his counsel, or they disobeyed Achan's secret sin or AI, they faced crushing defeat, pain, and suffering. So, so there's just a simple lesson here. Sounds like it's very simple. You think they would get it. Obey the truth or obey the word of God, good. Disobey, bad, right? We would say, how in the world do you guys not get this? So you'd think they'd figure it out by now, but uh, we are a lot like our ancient friends. <laughs> it sounds very simple, but we also fall short of this all the time, but thankful, thankful that God's grace is greater than our sin, his faithfulness is greater than our failure. So at, in uh, Joshua chapter eight, right after they repented of their most recent failure, uh, they renewed the covenant with God. And so they're sitting around and they're, they're on a high, right? They're doing good, everything's going great, but they had no time to gloat because there was more bloodthirsty enemies and battles to be fought for the promised land. Right out of the gate, we see in verses one and two, uh, they have enemies just sitting there ready to go. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the story, kind of recap what we've read today, and then I've got two points for us here at the end. But first two verses, there are all of these ites that are out to get Israel. Now, prior to this, they had been facing single city enemies, Jericho, AI, but now there is a plurality of enemies that have come together to fight Israel. These, all of these ites, now they, they, they usually were enemies of each other, but now they unite in a survivor-like alliance against the person of God, the plan of God, and the people of God. It's this ultimate arrogance of evil. However, there is one single little group in here that were descended from the Hivites. They are called the Gibeonites. And they had heard about Israel's God. They were scared to die. And they knew there was no way that they could beat Israel. So they came up with a plan, a plan of deception and a plan of disguise in order to survive. And so basically what we see here, they were a people that were very nearby Israel's camp, probably a half a day's journey away. That's how close they were. They were basically neighbors. But they dressed up in old nasty clothes, old sh busted up shoes and old wineskins to carry the wine and uh, old, old crusty dry bread. And they, they come together because they wanted to give the appearance that they were these tired, weary travelers that had come from a very, very far away land, not the close by Canaanites. And that they had come from so far away and they had heard about the God of Israel, and they came to make covenant with the people. They came to make peace, right? This whole thing was a ruse. It was a complete con job by the Gibeonites, and they had resorted to this me method in order to survive. They wanted to make covenant with Israel. Now, it's important to know that back in Deuteronomy 7, 
God had strictly forbid Israel from making any covenant with any Canaanites, which would include the Gibeonites. And so the reason he did, he says, because if you make a covenant with Canaanites, you'll end up marrying their people and you'll have kids and the kids will turn away from following me. It is this idea of if they turned away from God and broke the covenant, it was a matter of loyalty and fidelity to God. Paul echoes this very same idea in 2 Corinthians when he speaks about being unequally yoked in matters of dating, marriage, or any specific partnerships or relationships that cause the Christian to compromise who they are in Christ. They start to practice things like the people instead of the people of God. That's the idea here that they have been strictly forbidden to make covenant. So as they do this, the Israelites, after hearing the sales pitch of the Gibeonites, uh, they begin to be a little skeptical at first. They said, perhaps you are one of us. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? They, they had a little bit of skepticism on the front end, but the Gibeonites assured them, hey, we're no threat. We are just your servants. And because they passed Israel's eye test, it looked good, sounded like it was good, before, because they did those things and to their detriment did not seek the counsel of the Lord, they made peace with the Gibeonites. This whole thing was a matter of deception and the Israelites bought it all, hook, line, and sinker. And the Oscar goes to the Gibeonites. That's the picture of what's happening here. Now, three days later, there arose some chatter in the camp. Someone had discovered, we don't have detail here, that, that they had been duped and that the Gibeonites were actually neighbors and they had not come from afar. So the men of Israel gathered up to go after the Gibeonites. And when they get there, they remembered to not touch them because they had sworn an oath. They had made a covenant before God that they would not kill the Gibeonites. And their oath before God, it mattered. It mattered. Now, we know that later... In 2 Samuel, Saul broke this covenant, went after the Gibeonites, and because of his rebellion, Israel suffered three years of famine. The point here is that keeping an oath before God is a matter of godliness. It matters. In matters of marriage, oaths before God, in matters of Covenant membership at your church. Oaths matter to God. And Israel recalled the oath that they had swore to the Lord. And they said, we won't break covenant. We're going to let you live. Lest God's wrath be on us for breaking the covenant. Now, I'm sure the congregation's processing all of this. So what happened was, is their congregation began to murmur. Right? And that's never good to have a murmuring church. You don't want a murmuring church. And they're, they're probably questioning 
God appointed Joshua, his leadership, and the elders. What are these guys doing, right? What's happening? They could have even been selfishly upset because they were not going to get the Gibeonites' plunder now. Maybe that's what's happening here. So there's murmuring that's happening in the camp. And so Joshua summoned the Gibeonites. And after he gave this really a very brief and shallow interrogation, didn't go too deep there. They said, hey, who are you? And they thought, hey, remind you, we're servants. Joshua, we're no threat to you guys. After they did that, Joshua and the elders laid down their decision. What would they now do with the Gibeonites in their hand. So they declared to all people that they would now, they'd live, they wouldn't kill them, but they would be cursed woodcutters and water boys in the house of the Lord forever. That was their sentence. This is what they would earn for what they had done with their deception. And so the point here is that they deserve to die. They were, remember, they were a part of the Canaanites and they were supposed to be devoted to destruction. They were supposed to be killed, but yet God had grace upon them, allowed them to live, to be servants in the house of the Lord forever. But the story goes on later. We don't have time to unpack it today, but that wasn't the end of God's grace. The Gibeonites eventually became like Rahab, convinced that Israel's God was the one true God and they were uh, they, were, they became a part of the family of God through the covenant people of Israel. God's grace is always greater than our sin. Now, let me pause for a moment. Let me breathe here a minute because here's what I want to do. Today I'm going to talk to you about, in this story, the danger of deception and then the defense against deception. Before we get to those two points, there's something that's happening in the backdrop of all of this deception, something that I think is worthy of stopping and pausing and showing you um, because it shows us something about God. Noticeably absent in this passage is the voice of God specifically directly talking to anybody, but yet you'll see here in a moment, God is all over this passage. Uh, remember back in verse one and two, let's look at it again and I'll show you what I mean here. Joshua nine, one through two. As soon as the, all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and the lowland all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua. Now, earlier I said here, this is as Israel is experiencing success, the kingdom of God is growing. At the same time the kingdom of God is growing, opposition is also growing. This will be the common theme throughout the book of Joshua. This will be a, really a common theme throughout the scripture. New Testament, Jesus shows up, Prince of Peace And don't we see as the kingdom of God grows, so does the opposition? Yeah, that's exactly what we see. But remember, we said this two weeks ago, this is not physical warfare. This is not a land grab. They're not fighting for country here. This is spiritual warfare. This is a battle against Satan and his disciples. These people oppose 
the person of God, the plan of God, and the people of God. Spiritual warfare. This is what Israel is experiencing, and the devil and his people are involved. But I want to show you something or someone who's actually kind of over this whole narrative of deception, and you might be surprised about who it is. Fast forward to Joshua 11.20. Let's look at it together. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. Did you just catch that? Did you just see who is the causation behind all of this opposition? It was the Lord's doing to harden the hearts of the people to come against them. Now, all of these opponents of God here are not some pre-programmed robotic droids, God making them do this. That's not what's happening here. They are fully responsible for their hardness of hearts in the same way Exodus 4, Pharaoh. Remember that? That whole interplay back and forth with Pharaoh hardness heart, but God hardened his heart as well. So these guys, all of these ites, are very much responsible for their own opposition. But the text draws our attention today that it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts. What are we seeing here? We are seeing the beautiful interplay threaded from Genesis to Revelation between human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Inseparable twins and inseparable truths. These things do not oppose one another. And and if you're kind of like, how does that work? I don't really get it. You're in a great place because you'll never get it. This is the mystery of God. You will never fully, we will never figure this out. Our eyes are finite. They are not infinite like God's. And this does not, uh, this whole doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man, is not hinging upon me understanding it or not because we're not God. It just simply is. And therefore, we must take it to be truth. These people opposing God, they're responsible, but they're instruments in his very hands to accomplish his purposes. What does this mean for us? Glad you asked. Here's a couple of things. Today, I know that looking at the world, what's happening in our world today, through a simple eye test, looks like it's very, very dark. And that the kingdom of God is shrinking. We could potentially think that. Losing the battle. But here's what I want you to know today. 
Yes, opposition is high, but the kingdom of God is growing today. Every single time someone is saved, the kingdom of God grows. Every believer's baptism, the kingdom of God grows. Every day you wake up and labor in the word of God, rich, understanding, intimacy with God, and you give a God-honoring prayer, the kingdom of God grows. Every time you serve, every tithe dollar that you give, the kingdom of God grows. Every time you tuck in your children at night with a bedtime Bible story, the kingdom of God grows. Every time you take your children and you teach them what God says about gender and sexuality and you push back the lies of the world, the kingdom of God grows. Every Lord's Day gathering, the kingdom of God grows. Every church that is planted, every time you live sin and share the gospel, the kingdom of God grows. When the kingdom grows, though, so does the opposition. Don't you feel that sometimes? You might have personally experienced that in your own life. Let's just say there's a time in your life where, man, you, you thought you were just knocking it out, right? I'm, I'm committed to the gathering. I'm actually really, really going. I'm not just attending. I'm listening. The word of God's speaking to me. I get up. Your, your quiet times are regular. Your prayer life's pretty good. You're serving. You're giving. You're doing pretty good, right? The kingdom of God is growing in you. And then out of nowhere, hostile opposition rises up against you. Why? Because every time the kingdom grows in you, so does opposition. It's also not hard for us to see that to be true in our world today. If you have eyes to see, the ites are all around us. Kings, rulers, presidents, leaders, all around us, mainstream media. Progressive liberalism and their anti-Christ ideologies. People trying to make objective truth disappear. These are people who love the God they make, but they do not love the God that made them. These are people that are trying to brainwash our children right now. Students, students in the room, listen to me for a second. Uh, I, I'm glad you're here. Kids, I love you. I'm so glad you're in our, our gatherings on Sunday and not just in a room somewhere. But I want you to know something. You're being lied to by the world. The world's trying to tell you a narrative that is opposed to the person of God, the plan of God, and the people of God. Don't you buy the lies. The ites are all around us. But remember, this is not mental warfare. This is not physical warfare. This too is spiritual warfare. It's Ephesians 2 stuff that Paul talked about. Listen to what Daniel Defoe says about this idea. Wherever God erects a house of prayer, the devil always builds a chapel there. Oh, that's so true. 
So, so true. But the comfort for us is this, church. If we're, if we're seeing who God is in this passage, he's not caught off guard by what's happening in the world. He's not pacing heaven trying to say, it's not going the way I wanted it to. I can't believe that guy's in that office. I can't believe this bill was passed. No, God is sovereign, meaning that we're not. He is. He rules over heaven. He even rules over the horrors of hell. And he rules over the evilness of man and the devilishness of the devil. That's our God, church. He's bigger than all these things. The bigness of God is bigger than the devil and all of our enemies. This is supposed to be a great comfort to you. Why? Because he's with us in the fire right now. He's, he's our great guardian. He's built a wall of fire of protection around all of those who love Jesus Christ. And the outcome is not in question. It is not to be doubted at the very end, at the return of Christ, there'll be a day when all opposition will cease. There will be no more liars, no more deceivers, no more ites. Peace will reign forever and ever for all of those who love Jesus Christ. That is who our God is. That is, who our, that is reason to praise God, by the way. It should be to give us that great comfort. So I, I that's, listen, that sermon was for free. That's not even the two points. I, but, but, but in this text here, as I said, noticeably absent was, was anything specifically about God here. But man, we, he's on every page of the scripture. And so I, I, I felt I needed to do that. So let's dive in now to these two points. As God is authoring this story, I think the two points we're gonna talk about today is understanding the danger of deception and then the defense against deception, all right? So let's talk about the danger of deception that we see here in this story. Now, so far in the first eight chapters of Joshua, we've seen the enemies. We've seen the raging river of Jordan. We've seen the enemies of Jericho. Uh, We saw the enemy of secret sin. We saw the enemy of AI. But now here in chapter nine, we see a new enemy. Not the Gibeonites. It's the enemy of deception, Which is ironic here because if you remember chapter 8, they had just won victory over AI by what? Deception. (laughs) And now here in 9, they're going to become the victims of deception. The Gibeonites were told in verse 4, acted with cunning. That's the word we see, cunning. That is the... The Hebrew word translated there simply means things like clever or crafty. Now, when you hear that word crafty, what do you think of? If you know anything in your Bible, you go back to Genesis in the garden, and there was another creature, a serpent, that was described as being more crafty than all other creatures on the earth. And that, of course, was Satan, right? So the Gibeonites are acting with cunning And they are very crafty at what they're doing and their deception. Think about the lengths that they went to to deceive the Israelites. Uh, They 
They kind of looked legit on the outside. They came clothed in a disguise. I guess maybe they went to some yard sales and they bought all these busted up clothes. They maybe got some jeans with, with holes in them or something. They get these old busted up Birkenstocks. They put them on. They're looking the part. And not, not only looking the part, they don't look, they, they look exactly like the Israelites. They look all tired and busted. They're trying to look like them, right? And then not only did they look like them, they talked like them too, didn't they? They, they said, hey, hey, man, we brought some wine for you guys. And we know you guys love some wine, Israelites. But the problem is, is the sacks got all busted out. They leaked all the way. Sorry, our bad. This bread, when we left the house, it was hot and ready, right? But now, after our long, long journey, it's become dry and crusty like a communion cracker at Life Point Church. Listen, y'all thought it. Y'all think it every time we take it. I might as well just go ahead and say it, right? They're really good at this deception. They, they go on to say, we're here because of the name of the Lord your God. So they know how to talk the lingo, don't they? We know what he's done. We have heard the report. Now, there's another strategy that they use, too, that's very cunning and crafty. They played on the emotions and the sympathy of the Israelites. They appeared as these tired, weary, hungry travelers, maybe appearing or appealing to the sympathy. Oh, maybe they'll be sorry for us, and then they'll let us live. They caused the Israelites to make a decision on sight, not faith. They played to the emotions of their pride and their egos, right? Didn't they say that? Hey, we're your servants. You're awesome. We're not. They're feeding into the ego and the pride of the Israelites. This is, of course, the danger of deception. And they bought it, right? All of us probably have some story in our lives where we've been deceived. We've all probably experienced this at some degree. A few months ago, uh, we had a wireless provider show up at our house on like, it was probably a Saturday. Wasn't looking for a wireless provider, wasn't looking for new phones either. They showed up at the house. Lady seems really nice, wants to come in and talk to us a minute. Yeah, sure, come on in. She comes in and Hey, talk, talk to us about your cell phone plan. What do you got? I've got four kids or four, four people in the family. We're on the cell phone plan. This is what we pay per month. And so she kind of starts to put on the charm. Hey, do you know what I can do for you guys? I can get you four new iPhone 13s. I was rocking a seven. So, you know, I'm like, hey, let's listen to this. Kids sitting around, Ryland's like, hey, yeah, listen to them, dad. It's looking pretty good. And she's saying, look at the phones. Look at the phones. I've got a blue. I've got a black. I've got a green. I've got a white. Look at all these colors. Look at how awesome it is. Three cameras, two cameras. Like, they're showing me some stuff, right? My eyes are very appealed by what she's showing me. And we're talking through that. And she like, seems pretty nice. She's like, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. Like, I'm using it at that point because I think it might help me. Surely they're not going to lie to a pastor about a cell phone plan, right? And I just threw it out there. And so we, we, we're going back and forth. And she's like, hey, I can get you all these phones. I'll get you a discount too. If you, if you have any old phones around the house, I'll get you a discount. 
And man, we had a graveyard of old phones in one of the counters in there. So we just pull them out. We get all these great deals. I can, here's what we'll do. All four phones and you can get this deal and we'll make it $50 cheaper than what you're currently playing or paying for your plan. I mean, come on, who's not gonna take this? Brand new phones, $50 cheaper than my iPhone 7 and all the plans. I mean, this is looking really good. We bought it, hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) That's what we did. And so we jumped in, signed the paperwork. We even got it in writing. And then here it is three months later. And I tell you not, I'm still down there fighting. We're paying a hundred more dollars a month than I was paying before she came to the house. I'm still dealing with it today. If you see her, let me know. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm fighting this thing. And my point in there, clearly, I, I, there's, I, I'm, I'm deciding things by my eyes, what looks good, it meets the eye test, it's common sense, all these things. And man, I'm, there was a, seriously a, a level of deception that occurred there. And you've done that, you felt that. Maybe it was you, you went online to book an Airbnb. <laughs> and in the picture, it looks awesome. Cozy cottage, you get there, there's cobwebs and mice run all over the place. Or uh, maybe you bought something on Marketplace before. And it looked really good in the picture. You show up and it's busted. It doesn't look anything like it. Maybe it's a, listen, maybe it's somebody who's been deceived by their, by their uh, social media profile. You know, everybody looks a lot better on their profile, right? And you get there and you meet them. And they're like a person. You're like, oh my gosh. That was like 10 years ago, that picture. And 50 pounds ago, you don't look like this anymore. Listen, we're, we're good at that. We've all experienced this idea of deception. Um, The lesson here for us is this, though. The enemy of deception, Satan uses things, weapons, just like that to deceive us, to cause us to make decisions off of common sense. What looks good to the eyes, pride, egos, feelings, emotions, that is one of the devil's strategy. And when we do that, we will be victims of deception. So how do we fight it? How do we fight it? We fight it with a point number two, the defense against deception. Our defense against deception. Now, so far, the Gibeonites look pretty bad. And, and, and listen, they are guilty of all the things that they've done. But don't throw them completely under the bus. The ultimate reason Israel failed, verse 14 tells us why they ultimately failed. Let's look at it up on the screen. So the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Underline that in your Bible. They did not seek counsel from the Lord the Lord. This was ultimately the reason why they were duped. In the Hebrew, it actually means they did not seek the mouth of God. How much trouble do we find ourselves in when we make decisions and take actions in our lives when we do not ask counsel of the Lord. I'm not talking about decisions like where you're going to eat after church today or what you wear to church and the trivial matters of socks and things like that at the house. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about life decisions like 
who to date, dating, marriage, how to parent your kids, what career path should I take? Should I move? Should I buy that house, buy that car? What kind of, how should I spend this amount of money? What church to go to? When should I leave church? How much danger do we find ourselves in making decisions like that in life when we don't seek counsel from the Lord? How much danger do we find ourselves when we, when we enter into the fray of making all those decisions and we make those based upon things like desire, covetousness, what looks good, what sounds good, or the emotions of bitterness or anger or jealousy. Church, when we, when we make decisions in life that have implications off of those things, even our common sense, we are definitely under the danger of deception. You know, sometimes people make bad decisions and then after the bad decision and the results and the consequences come in, they say stuff like, everything happens for a reason. That's true. Sometimes that reason is because we're stupid and we do bad things. <laughs> Beware of the danger of making Lone Ranger decisions of, I don't really need to seek anyone's counsel. I can do this on my own. I don't really need to ask the Lord, and I really don't need to ask anyone else. I can do this on my own. Be careful. That is the tactic of Satan himself. The best defense against deception is seeking counsel from the Lord. Look at Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Anybody want straight paths in here? Or do you prefer crooked paths? I don't. This, this idea of seeking the counsel of the Lord is not just so you can obey the rules. This is not Christianity. Christianity is the Lord has died in my place, has forgiven me of my sins, and he provided a better way of life. A pathway of goodness, straight paths. But it is only found when we seek the counsel of the Lord the two ways we do that practically. So if you're tracking so far, you're like, yeah, I get it. How do we do that? How do we seek the counsel of the Lord? Two ways. God's word to us and our words to God. God's word to us through his spoken, revealed word in the scripture and our words to him, prayer. Prayer. Look at God's word to us, how we seek the counsel. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous 
and then you will have good success. Good success, prosper. God is for us. He's not looking for begrudging obedience so we would be miserably obedient. That is not the heart of God. It's for our goodness and mercy and prosper. Psalm 119, 105, he says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We seek counsel through God's word, his word. Uh, I was reading a guy this week, Sam Storms. Uh, he was talking about God's word and says there's really four things you can do with God's word. The first thing you can do is trivialize it. And that just means you don't care what it says. It doesn't matter. It doesn't impact your life. You, you have an old dusty Bible. It's in a, a, a cabinet somewhere. You don't use it. You don't pay attention. You don't read. You just trivialize God's word. Now, the second thing that people do is they trifle with it. You can trifle with God's word, meaning like you can just lucky dip, pick out a passage you like. I like this. I'll spit that out. I don't like the way that sounds. I'll, I'll grab a Pinterest verse. I like that, but I don't really want to get into the word of God. I just need some inspirational quotes, right? That, that's trifling with God's word. Then the, the third thing you could do is tamper with it. You take it. You want to spit it out because it's something offensive to you, to me, and so we tamper with it, and then we twist it into making it saying something it really doesn't say. You see people taking scripture out of context all the time. That is tampering with it. And then the fourth thing you could do with God's word, which is where I hope we all are, is that we trust it. It's trustworthy. It's true. It's tied. It's, it's, it's tried. It's tested. And it is to be trusted How do you seek counsel through God's word? Well, man, that's what our reading plan is for. We started a reading plan in January. I hope you're still on the reading plan. If you're not, kind of come back on that with us by getting up every single day, seeking his clear, revealed word. Not just letting the spirit make you decide what you want to do with your life. Spirit comes later. Let's look at the revealed word of God first. We do that through getting around other people, sharpening one another. We, get, we do that through life groups. We do that through discipleship groups, sitting around other people, helping to understand the word of God. And if you're here today and you're like, yes, I get it. I, I see it good, but I just don't understand the Bible. I gotta start to read it. It's hard to comprehend and I need some help. And so here's the reality. If that's really you and you genuinely want to know the counsel of God, then here's what you need to do. Swallow your pride and ask someone to help you. It's the first thing. You reach out to the church. You get the blue cards that are around you. Just says, hey, talk to someone. That's all you got to do. Now, if you really don't want to know the counsel of the Lord because it might contradict the way you live, you're not going to ask any help. You just keep doing that over and over again. I don't understand it. It's too hard. Man, lean into the word. It's prosperous. It's good for you. And then let us help you do that. The second thing we do, and this is our last point here, is this idea of we seek the Lord and his counsel through our words to him. That is through prayer. That is through prayer. Just knowing the word is not an excuse for prayerlessness. Seeking 
God's ear. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Prayer is often thought of as only a a discipline of the Christian or a practice, a to-do list kind of things. And it is a discipline, but really it's, a, it's more of a matter of trust. It is a matter of who you really trust in your life. Listen to what H.B. Charles says about this idea. Prayer is arguably the most objective measure of our dependence on God. The things that you pray about are the things where you trust God the most. Things you don't pray about are the things where you trust God the least. It's a matter of trust. My, my, my prayer life, when my prayer life is lacking, it shows God that I ultimately trust myself. When my prayer life is flourishing, it puts my trust and shows God my trust is in him. So here's a question that I, I want to I want to leave us with here this morning. Do you have any big decisions looming over your life right now? Uh, Relationship, should I enter it, should I not? Should I break up, should I not? Marriage, a career, is it really the Lord calling or am I climbing the corporate ladder for my name and my fame? Should I move to that house because I want it, it looks good, but it's really more than I can afford and I really don't need to go get that? Is it a decision you're making with your children, how to parent them, when to lovingly correct them, teaching them how to educate them, the the whole idea of what do we do with schools in the future, right? Maybe you have those decisions that are lingering there and you've got to make some hard decisions. And so I ask you this question. Are you seeking the counsel of the Lord before you make those decisions? Are you seeking his word? Have you sought his ear? And if you need help, discerning those things, either the word or the will of God, anywhere in there, listen, that's what the church is for. With an abundance of counsel, plans will prosper. So you, you would reach out to the church and say, well, we got this thing going on and I don't really know what we're supposed to do. Can you help us look at the word? Where is it in the word? I just want to obey the word. Or if not, if not clearly given, maybe we can help you pray for wisdom that God would give you an understanding into what decision to make. I hope we've learned the lesson here from these Gibeonites today and from the Israelites as well. Uh, the band's going to come up, and I want to, I want to, we're going to, in just a moment, I'm going to give some space for us to seek the counsel of the Lord. If that was you in any of those decisions, and think I'm going to give you some space to just sit there in the Lord for a minute and say, God, bring these decisions to my life. God, I made this decision without seeking you. Would you forgive me, God? 
bringing all of those things to the Lord today. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. But before we do, um, I, I want to remind you or tell you this story. Who is it good news for this? Is this just a lesson about deception and behavior modification and avoid bad things and do good things? Well, of course it's not. This message is good news for anyone here today that would be willing to admit they are like the Gibeonites. People that would admit maybe there's a time in your life where you wanted to save your own skin more than your soul, where you loved your physical life more than God. Maybe you would be willing to admit that you have deceived. Scripture says we're all liars. So we're all Gibeonites, right? That's all of us. And if you'd be willing to confess that, you're tracking here. Maybe some of you today are here and you are the Gibeonites today. And here's what I mean. You are posing You've got a disguise on. You can dress like the Christian. You can talk like the Christian. You can act like the Christian. Be around the people of God. But when it's real, God knows it's all a disguise. And he knows that you're living a duplicitous life. And when you go home, that's not who you really are. Listen, that might be you. That might be you today. And if you would be willing to confess that, that that might be you, here's the deal. You see how the Gibeonites got grace in the story? Here's how you can receive grace for those things. By believing in the grace offering of the slain son of God who is Jesus Christ. That's the grace offering you received. By believing in his life, his death, and his resurrection as your substitute, as your grace offering, you can be forgiven today of all of those things. And if you are a follower of Christ today, here's what you and I both receive. Because of God's grace, we too, like the Gibeonites, we get to be servants in the house of the Lord forever. Listen to Psalm 84 as we close. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll be a doorkeeper all day long in the house of God forever and ever. If you want to know Christ today, and if you don't know the grace of God through Jesus Christ, man, come and talk to us on the way out today, mark a blue card. Come speak with the pastor. Reach out this week. We want to talk to you about those things. But as we close today uh, in this idea of defense against deception is God's word to us, which we've done that today. Now I want us to uh, fight it with our words to God through a time of prayer. So I want to just ask you for these next few moments to just go before the Lord, you and him. And if at any point after you've kind of done some work with the Lord and he's like, hey, you've done it and you need help, stop trying to do this on your own and you need some counsel from maybe a pastor, someone on staff, you can get up 
Come to the back. Me and Jordan will be back there. Maybe some other staff will pray with you on the spot if it's for wisdom. We may help grab you and grab a coffee this week, and we may look at this thing up together in the Word of God to try to find out. But, man, let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Let's bow our heads right now and go to the Lord, and let's pray.